Hey friends, this episode of Woodland War Machine is sponsored by Magpie Games, creators and publishers of the Root role-playing game. Based on the tried-and-true system known as Powered by the Apocalypse, the Root RPG expands upon the lore of the board game and puts players in the roles of vagabonds, adventuring in the woodland, fighting factions, and saving or swindling denizens. If you want to get your hands on the Root RPG, there's a link to Magpie's website in the description of this episode. Thanks so much to Magpie Games for their support of the show. Mark, do you have any uh, tips on getting rid of the hiccups? Because I've had them three <laughs> times today. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I have. I, I always do end up trying things like you know standing on my on my head and and drinking water or something. But I right. think that's mostly to amuse my my fellow magpies and less to actually effectively <laughs> get rid of the hiccups. You mean it's a party trick, less a tactic? <laughs> it's I more for it's, morale. Yeah, exactly. Or like, just tell people like sometime during this day, scare me. Right. And they'll come in and be like, Oh wow. You know, scary thing. And I'll be like, yeah, that maybe that's, wow. maybe that's what they you yell. Do. Scary thing. That's yeah. a, oh, I like that's this. A dangerous open invitation for sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is an office of writers and they yell scary things. Well, I mean, there was, there was, a, there was a, a bracket. I don't know. You know, it's, <laughs> scary things are contextual. They're, they're yeah. like by nature contextual. <laughs> they get paid to write, Jake. That's they don't right. get paid yeah. to scare. <laughs> To that's scare them, yeah, 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 that's a fair yeah. point. <laughs> they give a bunch of creative people a prompt, like that's what they're dying for. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that that is asking for trouble. I think to to give them free reign to scare me uh, emotionally, <laughs> you know. I've been hiding in the broom closet for three days. Right. <laughs> exactly, and that's dedication to your job, though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for those of you that are wondering, that fourth voice is Mark Truman. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here. Mark is a uh, person over at Magpie Games. What is your title at Magpie? So I am the I am the chief executive officer at Magpie Games, which mostly is a title designed to make sure that things end up on my desk if they're like ah. messy or complicated. Um, sure. But we have a, we have kind of a unique structure. Uh, we have uh, four designers, myself, Brendan Conway, who's the co-designer of Root, uh, Marissa Kelly, who helped us design Avatar, is one of the designers of Bluebeard, uh, and then Sarah Doom, who's one of the designers of Bluebeard, who just returned from a long break. Um, and the four of us do all of, like the design and a lot of the writing work. And then we have a bunch of people who do support work, like marketing and things like that. So all of us are in the office every day, spending much less time on writing and design than we might like, and a lot of time on <laughs> like looking at samples and answering emails and packing books and boxes, like all of that stuff. Very cool. Yeah, well, and as part of that CEO job, is, as you mentioned, you are a lead designer on the Root RPG, which is what we're discussing today. And when people are hearing this, uh, we'll be one episode ahead of the playthrough episode that myself becca scott and sam and kyle all participated in well we had a blast with that by the way thank you so for the fun. gift of the root rpg yeah. yeah that's awesome no we're, we're really excited i think uh one of the weird things about making an rpg is like you're an artist and a creative but like what you're really doing is like you're like the guy who makes guitars like i can't i can't i'm not i don't actually make songs right i make guitars and so and so you go to a bar and you're like oh my god that's one of my guitars and people are playing it and you're like that's freaking great like look at that that's wonderful good job right but it's not actually mine so like it's very cool to hear from people that they they enjoyed the guitar like it's a it's a yeah, very different yeah, experience it plays well it makes beautiful 
beautiful song. That's that's yeah. what we like to hear. When it's in the right hands. Yeah. It's so smooth too. Um yeah, I'm I'm not a big role-playing game person. I've done a lot of Dungeons and Dragons 5e, yeah. mostly uh doing it for kids. So oh, I don't cool. even experience the gory part. I always did a lot of like, <laughs> and that enemy is defeated. Yeah, they're, you know they're I mean? knocked unconscious and, and <laughs> right. crawl off off screen. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they have a fulfilling life being good from now on. Yeah, right. Um so uh <laughs> so I hadn't experienced too much of the powered by the apocalypse system which the root RPG uses. Yeah. Um and I know that Magpie uses that in a couple of their other games. Uh how how was it designing for that? Why do you keep coming back to Powered by the Apocalypse? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, so you know, when we first played Apocalypse World, which is the game where Vincent and McGway Breaker created a po- the powered by the apocalypse system mm-hmm. you can't see my quotes because this is a podcast but i'm making them right like this this system um what they really did was they kind of opened up i think a different space for how rpgs work so you know if you're playing D, it's what i very much think of as a comparative game you're like the goblin has seven hit points your sword does seven points of damage we compare those two numbers look the goblin's dead or the goblin's not quite dead you only did six points of damage right mm-hmm. and what apocalypse world did and powered by the apocalypse as a system does is to change things to narrative beats instead of comparisons between objects so for example in the root rpg we might track how much harm you've done to somebody that's fine but it's just as likely that you'll make a move to persuade them there's no hit points for persuasion or anything like that we just know that within the kinds of stories we're talking about like robin hood or any other sort of swashbuckling or even like game of thrones kind of like fantasy adventure there's going to be a moment in which one of the characters tries to convince another and we know that's an important moment and so we mechanize that moment not the objects right so as a gm i don't have to have all my npcs statted up so that they can be objects in the fiction that are interacting with each other instead i could just say this is a fox he's an asshole like this fox is a <laughs> jerk right and when he stops you on the bridge he's like he's like i'm a bandit i'm a jerk i'd be happy to kill you i'd be happy to take your money which one do you want and when you step up to persuade that fox i don't have to know any of the stats about that fox to to articulate them in what we call the fiction, the story, and you then can make your move to persuade. And the outcomes of that can go in a lot of different narrative directions. It's not pass fail. Maybe it's pass, but they demand something of you. You didn't want to give or fail, but the reason you fail is because the Marquisat sends a bunch of troops, which suddenly appear out of the forest. And now you're both in trouble, you and the bandit, right? So, so the, <laughs> yeah. the outcomes don't have to be binary. They can be branching. And instead of focusing on whether these two objects in conflict resolve, we just focus on where is this beat? Anytime that we can fit into a system where the players have a lot of agency, the outcomes are varied. Like there's a lot of ways the story can go. And we feel very confident that uh, those narrative beats are going to be the, the backbone of the story. That's when we think the power by the apocalypse system is a great fit. And so for minute one with root, we were like, yeah, this is a, this is a mess. Like the vag- <laughs> the vagabonds touch anything and it just goes yeah, crazy. Yeah. What is it that drew you to root specifically as a property once you guys were looking at it? Oh, I mean, we were, we were just big root fans. Like, I mean, I honestly, I think I've told the story before, but I remember we were sitting in our conference room playing like our sixth game of root since we got it at Gen Con two weeks before. <laughs> and I was literally like, this would be a really great RPG. Like it's such a cool setting. I'm already playing the vagabond. It kind of feels like I'm playing an RPG <laughs> yeah. from minute one. And I just, you know, so we reached out to the leader and we were like, hey, you know, we, we're, we're a little indie company like you. Like we want to make great games. We know you guys want to make great games because you made a couple already. 
what would you think about us bringing the root world to life in just a completely different way? And Patrick, who was the the main person we were talking to at the time, Patrick Leader, just him and I just instantly connected. He's a big RPG fan. He has a mm-hmm. regular weekly group. Um, and then by the time I talked to Cole, who Cole and I both share uh, some background in like public policy and an interest in like government and politics, like very much on the same page about what we wanted the game to do. Uh, and they gave us a lot of room to work to make the game amazing and, and didn't didn't want they, they were very much like they wanted to bring the game to life in a way that they knew we could bring it to life and it's it's very exciting to work with them what an optimal way to have a partnership that sounds amazing yeah it's really rare there are not a lot of rpgs based on board games right because they don't lend themselves like you know what is the azul board game or the, or the, or the you know even like the scythe board game that's a challenge like the world is built for certain kinds of conflicts and root really gave us the opportunity to say well there's a world and there's already these vagabonds in it like that's that's gonna work right and, yeah. and we wanted to build on some of the lessons we learned from games like dungeon world which i think turns turned 10 years old like this year or last year um and and really build a next generation fantasy engine that like you said sam you know was like it's designed to be really smooth it's designed to do a lot of things that 5e is doing but maybe without the degree of bookkeeping maybe with a little bit more narrative flexibility maybe with more player agency Oh yeah, it definitely feels like shooting from the hip in like a really fun way when you yeah. uh, when you start a campaign because you just don't know where the players are going to take it. And uh, so I was the GM for our. I was about to say you sound like the GM. Session, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, as as a GM, you know, it's like you want to prepare and like create all these this elaborate backstory. And the great thing about Root RPG uh, from that experience is like all of that still matters, yes. and that prep is still very valuable. But there's no pressure to like script anything or have like a detailed, like specific adventure to go on. All you need is that kind of like setting and some characters yeah. and yeah. just some player magic and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of us, like everybody that worked at Magpie, like, you know, Power by the Apocalypse is only ten years old. We've been gamers for a lot longer than ten years, and all of us remember Kyle exactly what you're talking about, which is like I used to run a werewolf the Forsaken LARP. And like I had, which is kind of a weird LARP to begin with, like, yes. but I, I had like 20 or 30 players. It's just like three or four or five packs. And like, it was great. And we'd show up every other week and play werewolf. I had a, I had a, a library of NPCs on my computer that was like 300 NPCs because I had to stat up every single NPC in that thing. Like just to present them, they had to have stats. Right. And so like you're saying, Kyle, it's like a lot of it is like, okay, I got to have four set pieces for today. Like, that's the reality of being a GM. Like, okay, first the players are going to go here. Then they're either going to go here or here or somewhere else. Please, God, no. But hopefully <laughs> A or B. And so, like, as long as I have A or B prepared, maybe I could, like, morph them together into C if the players do something I don't expect. And what we love about PBTA, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse in general, is I don't prep much of anything. I think about central conflicts. Like, so if we're getting started, I might say, okay, we're going to start in a clearing where the Marquisat has recently taken over. And the Woodland Alliance is like starting to build and there's a bunch of new lizard missionaries in town and the lizards are like preaching about like love and community and, and like coming together. And the Marquisat does not like this bullshit. And so I'm like, (laughs) where does that go? I don't know. I've got like three named characters, one for each faction and the vagabonds are going to drive that train right off the rails. Like I know, (laughs) like they're going to roll into town and they're going to immediately be like, how we cannot let these poor lizards be attacked by these, by these cats. We have to defend them. And then that's going to be the, or they're going to say, let's go to the Marquisat 
and let's tell them we'll get rid of the lizards in exchange for a little bit of, you know, coin. Yeah, vagabond's and gonna vagabond. Vagabond's right? gonna yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so like all I have to do as the GM Kyle to your point is just 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 stay with them, right? Follow them and feed them new conflicts as things slow down. Yeah. And the game has this very um cinematic quality that really comes out in the the books. There's a, a couple of kind of core uh, books that we've been really pouring over that are a first of all completely gorgeous uh and b just chock full of really nice uh like pointers and info to get you oriented right away um my i have this question though i'm, I'm wondering did you guys just sit down and watch a bunch of swashbuckling like adventure movies right before <laughs> working on this thing because it feels like you have so many examples ready to go that feel like they're out of a movie like robin hood or i mean it is funny like you I don't know when it happens, but there is a point as a creative where you you do literally say like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to watch the entire Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy today for work. <laughs> like and like and like you're not even like excited about it because you're like, well, I won't get to any emails today. I'm just going to be watching like all of season three of Angel for my urban fantasy game, right? So so yeah, I mean, Brendan who wrote the book, right? You know, and I did a lot of editing and design work, but he's the one who actually like you know put pen to paper and made sure we made it through the chapters. Like I think I think writing examples is something where. What you're really doing is is drawing on a combination of yes, like movies and things you've seen before, but but honestly, a lot of playtests. Like players do cool shit, and then it's my job to like remember that or write it down, yeah, and mm-hmm. then like take it and make it an ideal example, right? Like a like a perfect moment, right? Um, for example, you know, one of the things we really emphasize in Powered by the Apocalypse is that the GM is as bound to the fiction as everybody else, like. Like, if you say something's true, then it's true. It's true for you and for the players. But you shouldn't undermine it without good cause, right? Um, And when I was working on the first edition of Urban Shadows, like, years and years ago, which is an urban fantasy game we publish, uh, we were doing a playtest with Brendan, actually, was one of the players, and my friend, friend Catherine, uh, who's a a regular player and proofreader, and she was playing a hunter at a blessed weapon, and Brendan was a demon. And at one point, one of the NPCs, like, wrestled the gun away from her and shot him. And I'm like, cool, man. Like, how much armor do you have? You're a demon, so like, it's a bunch, right? And he's like, yeah, but isn't that a blessed weapon? And I'm like, oh <laughs> shit, it is a blessed weapon. Like, that means it ignores all demonic armor, huh? He's like, yeah, I just take like five harm. And I'm like, oh no, like that wasn't what I didn't mean to do. Oh, but but we're bound to it, right? Like, right. I'm supposed to stay to the rules too. And so we put that in the book because it went to such interesting places. Yeah, that 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 example ends up teaching a lot of lessons. I think about what it means to run this kind of game, to like roll with it, ride with it, trust that the game is going to go somewhere interesting and you don't have to force it. And uh, Roots a lot of the same way. A lot of those examples I could point to would be like, oh yeah, that was in that play test where our friend did this thing. We, we modified it, we shaped it, we made it perfect, but but like that core moment of like letting that guy die rather than saving him at some cost to you, that was a decision our friend made when they were in that play test. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I feel like most of the stories that we retell as role players involve saving from disaster of either rules or just <laughs> bad choices. I mean, the story we retell the most in our group is about when we called in a bomb threat to a school, right? As mercenaries in Shadowrun? Isn't that what <laughs> that's right? Yeah. 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 Like, that's not, that's not, that wasn't the right answer to that scenario. <laughs> well, well and- I mean... Go ahead, Mark. I mean, I think I think part of it is, you know, one of the other things we think a lot about with with Root in particular is that we have games in which we're trying to get people to behave maybe like differently than they normally would. Like if you're playing masks, you're playing a, a teenage superhero. Maybe we need to get you to act like a teenager a little bit more. Like maybe you shouldn't 
deal with problems like an adult because you're you're a teenage kid. Right? You're Spider Man, not Iron Man, right? But with Root, we don't really have to do much to get people to act like vagabonds. Yeah. <laughs> like, role, role players are just kind of hardwired already to be like. I'd like to make a mess and then not deal with any of the consequences unless someone makes me right. And that, that we kind of designed the system with that in mind that like for players, what's fun about playing root is not that you just never have consequences. I think the real story of root is how the woodland is shaped over time, but that like it really emphasizes that the vagabonds are unique, right? Like they're, they're not like, you're not just like a raccoon who picked up a sword, right? Just like you're kind of the special hero hero with quotation marks like or villain or rogue or rascal like you are going to stand out from everybody else in the woodland and from a design perspective that's actually really fun to design for because it means that everything that we give you as a player is designed to give you that power to like make your actions bigger than life so when you Mm -hmm. call in the bomb threat to the school in the clearing that like it goes like it happens like stuff moves because of it and then we see where that takes us. Right? And it's and like part of the drive mechanic, right? Which is the objective that a lot of these characters are given at character creation, which like is also a mechanical benefit because it, it helps them uh, erase their exhaustion. So yep. it, you're encouraged to do your goals, to be yourself in some way. Yeah, I yeah, love that's the, that. That's the nature mechanic, I think is what you're talking about, where like you have a nature. So, for example, for some of the playbooks, it might be to like go and get drunk and gamble. Right. And like, like you go do that and like, and like, obviously it's going to cause problems, but like you clear your exhaustion, you recover it. And then that creates new, interesting problems. In addition to that, you also have drives, which are about like basically leveling up. So you choose your drive. Like you can be this like rascal, uh, you know, possum who like, yeah, he goes and gets drunk and gambles, but also fuck authority. Like whenever (laughs) he's, he want like, if he's able to like displace an authority and a clearing an unjust authority and restore power to the people, he'll actually level up. And so rather than have it be like, let's track all these little XP marks and how many monsters you've killed, because there really aren't monsters in Root. Like there's just social conflicts and like, I mean, physical conflicts too, but they're rooted in like the way the factions are interacting in the clearings. Like the the XP mechanic is also driven by exactly what you're talking about, Jake, like giving players stuff to do in the game and then rewarding them when they do it, mm-hmm. right? And not and not being coy about it. Like you want to be the kind of character who gets drunk, take that nature and show me what you got. Like, yeah, it well, fun. it's also not just tied to, again, going back to success and failure of whether you defeated the goblin to get the experience points to advance a level. It's right. about, did you fulfill like what's in your nature as a, as a vagabond? Yeah, as a va- yeah then exactly. You should advance in, as a nature in that vagabond, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and it grows and changes over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, as your reputation with those factions changes, maybe, maybe you find yourself being kind of extra sympathetic to the, the lizards and their cause and, and thinking that maybe like what you really need to do is help them get control over the woodland. Right. And that's something where like root also really shines in long-term play, like 20 sessions in when the vagabonds start to make decisions that influence in many ways, like the board game who ultimately ends up in control of the woodlands. Sure. Sure. But unlike the board game, it's never always the vagabond. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's kind of ironic, right? Because we talked a lot about uh, game end states. Like, We're actually, in addition to being fans of Root, obviously, we're also big fans of the coin series from GMT. Mm -hmm. And like the way that the coin series also presents different factions, much like the playbooks of PBTA, as competing with different interests in an asymmetrical kind of ecology, right? Um, And what's really interesting about Root is that the point system kind of obscures those end states. Like, if you're playing Andean Abyss, like, and you're like, cool, the 
the cartels won. Like you have some sense of like, all right, well, that meant Colombia kind of fell into a narco state and the government maybe kind of collapsed a little bit or at least became corrupted and FARC probably just fell apart and the right wing death squads were – <laughs> well, they just hate FARC, so that's it. They're just done, right? Specific yeah. example. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but but point is that, like in that moment, right? Like you can describe very clearly what what's happening on the board. Root because it's point based. Sometimes it's like, well, the bird's got a bunch of points. But, like, what does that right. mean? Right. Right. And so, like for the vagabond, especially, I think we came to understand that as when the birds win, maybe it doesn't look like Emilia on the board, but the idea is that they. Their claim of legitimacy over the woodlands is fulfilled, and people right. people begin to see the Marcusat more as an invader. They see the lizards or the otters more as outsiders, and the eerie kind of maybe they don't have full control, but they they reclaim that thing. When the vagabond wins, it just means it's just chaos. Things like, went wrong. Like <laughs> nobody won, right? Because the vag all that we have is heroes. All we have is legends. There's no governments. Just every clearing kind of on its own, and. You know, from the perspective of the vagabond, that's okay. No cops, right. man. Like, like, yeah, it's a Mad Max state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But but like more optimistically, it could be thought of as maybe one in which the denizens have control of their own clearance. Yeah. Right. And so so we think of that as like, you know, in the in the role playing game. Sure. You can have lots of factions. And one of the things you do, Kyle, like you said, when you set up is you pick you pick the factions you want to be engaged with. But one faction we encourage you to regularly have is the denizens themselves, which aren't really represented in the board game by a faction with pieces, but by the deck, right? right. And and like having them in the RPG means that like if you build up an alliance with the denizens, which you're really kind of arguing for is local control, as opposed to the Woodland Alliance, which is like arguing for a proto-terrorist network to, to, <laughs> <laughs> that, that like isn't the same as the denizens, right? Ordinary denizens don't want to blow anything up. They just want right. to like live their lives and farm or whatever it is that they do in the clearings. But like, like the Woodland Alliance really is interested in like a political solution. And I think, I think that was a really interesting move because what it means is that you can actually try to restore some sort of local control in that, in that win condition. But it also tries to grapple with how hard that is because the Marcusat and the Erie, for example, would team up to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. Mark, what I think you've done so well with the root RPG is capture like all these like emergent narratives that the root board game uh, presents because to be honest, there's not a lot of like flavor text in the right. root board game. Yeah. There's not like these, like read this about the history, which I think that's why we're so stoked about the RPG. Cause we do get a little bit of that uh, just to kind of help with the GM, but it really captures the spirit of like the stories we're telling each other while we're playing the board game. We can mm -hmm. kind of invest and, and kind of get down to the localization, you know, like yeah. we can take that card. That's like a visit to friends or whatever. Right. And we can like have a session where we meet that, rabbit with that boot or whatever it is you know yeah yeah um, i mean i think amazing. one of my favorite parts about being a gm is that you're kind of always pushing against whatever the players have established like if a player is like oh i hate the marcasat they're just the worst thing ever they murdered my whole family and my <laughs> dog and and they're just the worst and i would i would murder any marcasat i found a session one here is a 12 year old rabbit and he just thinks the Marcusat is the greatest force in the entire world. And the Vagabond's like, God damn it. <laughs> like, right? And so you just you just humanize that so fast, right? And and then the Vagabonds have to wrestle with that. And maybe maybe that Vagabond leaves being like, okay, okay, okay. I, I hate the Marcusat's military. Like, I, like, I, will, I will qualify it just a little bit, right? Yeah. But like, like you can complicate it, Sam, in the way you're talking about. Like it doesn't just become a card, but it really gets deep. And then I think when you come back to the board game, it's it's a richer experience because you start seeing those 
pieces come together. And we actually have rules in um, in the game for kind of simulating what the war would look like in a couple of different ways, including just like, hey, go play like three turns of the board game, play some RPG sessions, then play a fourth turn. Like, like just mix it in with what you're doing and then play within those those constraints. And we think that's a really cool, unique opportunity that you're not going to get out of, I don't know, maybe like, I guess if you combine the Star Wars RPG with X-Wing, you could do something. But oh, outside sure, of that, yeah. right, there aren't a lot of crossovers. Well, I, I work at a game store and I'm so excited. I, you know, uh, the store's getting really excited about the Root RPG coming out. And I w- I'm, I'm really excited because I'm like, well, I already got all the minis. You know, right. <laughs> because I have all the wooden pieces for the board game. Right. I don't need to buy a bunch of plastic minis or the terrain or whatever. It's all set. Yeah, right. Exactly. You could be like, all right, here's all the eerie forces, like 10 little birds, right? <laughs> like surrounding you. That's cool, man. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any like struggles you guys had in developing it? Or was there a piece of the root puzzle that you were trying to figure out how to fit in and it took some more time or playtesting to solve? I mean, yeah, all of it, man. That's that's like, <laughs> like I, if, well, if, you're, I, yeah. if you're if you're under the impression that any of it went smoothly, I, no, well, I appreciate I mean, that. I, I cannot imagine designing an RPG as a smooth uh, process by any means. But uh, what was the thing that came came down to like the longest uh, road you had to travel? I think I think the first most important one is you know we didn't want to have like just a generic move for. Um, you know, the, the vagabonds using special skills or something, because one of the cool things about the game is like, you want to have a party of like five different vagabonds who maybe are like good at different things. Right. Mm-hmm. And you want to preserve some of that, which is, which is honestly can be a little bit of a challenge in part of the apocalypse, because if everybody has access to the persuade move, right. then it's not, it's not quite as big as swing as maybe like the difference between a paladin and a rogue persuading someone in D and D. Right. And we want to preserve a little bit of that. Um, maybe not around persuasion. Cause that's the thing. Maybe all vagabonds are within the same range in, but like, what about like making devices or right. like picking pockets or, you know, murdering dudes from the dark. Like those things <laughs> are very different from vagabonds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The arbiter doesn't do a lot of arson and skulking around, but right. they will break a thing real good. Right. Right. Um, and so what we came up with was this idea of having roguish feats that like, you have this feat that, that, that you've learned, this sort of like the skill that you have, and you get a special move for that, that if you don't have it, becomes tempting fate, which is a very costly move. So, so for example, if you're like, great, I'm the, I'm the thief, the little raccoon thief, and, and you know, I'm going to jump out of this balcony and, and you know, tumble to the floor gracefully and, and sprint off into the, into the woods. You're like, great, roll a, roll, attempt a roguish feat thief with acrobatics and then when the arbiter <laughs> follows behind they're like i'm gonna jump <laughs> like, that's right. like and you're like great cool you're tempting fate arbiter and so you're more likely to get injured jumping from the second story and and that like that helped us to like zoom in on what people were doing with their characters like how can you express that character and that kind of bled into i think the second big thing we wanted to do which was to have the weapon moves be tactically interesting so, you know, one of the things about Power by the Apocalypse is by abstracting away from that comparative idea, you end up in a space where sometimes combat can feel like I roll the dice, cool, it went well or it went poorly, and I don't really have a sense of like how that's there's no back and forth necessarily. Right. There's just like, yeah, I shot that guy and he's Event dead. Cool. Occurs. Yeah. Event occurs, right? Yeah. And for something like Cartel where you're dealing with like breaking bad, you're like, Yeah, you shot that guy. Maybe that's we're done. Like the you shot him, he didn't shot you. Like we're, we're done. Right? That's it. Like, Congrats. You didn't yes. die. 
But for for Root, we wanted to have like the the big battle, the Arbiter swinging their sword at, at multiple eerie guards, the the thief dodging in to knife somebody in the side, and so we really expanded the weapon moves into a set of like roguish feats for combat that let you really describe your character. So our hope is that like you end up with an Arbiter who has chosen particular things, and that that was a lot to figure out. How do we make those moves? Not too complicated, not too like nitpicky moves in general in, in Powered by the Apocalypse, if you're not familiar with them, are you do the trigger, you roll the dice, and you get the thing. And there's moves where you don't roll dice or where the trigger is different, but it's the basic idea. Like when you persuade somebody, you roll, and then we talk about some outcomes that can be more than just succeed or fail. Moves that are just like apply one damage or avoid one damage, they can be really boring. Mm-hmm. So it's like how do we make moves that are tactically interesting but still operate in that space of resolving a combat. And so I think if you look through those moves, what you're going to see is there's a lot of nuance in them that might not be apparent from minute one so that you can really build something as a vagabond that expresses your character and how you fight and what you do you know, like through your roguish feats um, in a way that I think is unique to this game in Powered by the Apocalypse in general, but certainly in our games. So you would say this one has uh, kind of the most expressive combat of the Powered by the Apocalypse games you've worked on? I mean, until Avatar, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Avatar has its own thing. But but yeah, like I'll, just as an example, like in Masks, you know, when you use your powers, right? Like what are Spider-Man's powers? Well, like they're super, they have super wide range. And a lot of it is like, how do his powers work in this moment? And that's not what we wanted for Root. We don't want like just a super wide, like, do a do a heckin' vagabond move because <laughs> again does does the arbiter pick pockets so like masks has one way of solving that problem that really relies on talking about when you're pushing the limits of your powers so like when spider-man tries to stop a bus then we're like cool if he tries to lift a car no problem like he does that all the time right but when he's like i want to stop this bus from going off this edge then we'll roll right that wasn't going to work for root and so we really tried to focus on giving people a little bit more mechanical support for thinking through what the character does now avatar on the other hand if you've looked at the preview materials there's a whole different set of like of uh, approaches like are you choosing to advance are you choosing to defend because there the fighting's more like dancing and here mm. the fighting is right as you all experienced it like murder each other in the woods with sticks right? <laughs> it's, it's like it's rough like you're like you're like man like i i just killed this guy because that's what root is about like it's violent it's it's dark at times yeah it's um, quick and dirty in a lot of ways like a lot of these a lot of these moves also have a narrative component to them as you mentioned and the, i love the whole foregoing of success and failure and just being like what does this yep. mean in terms of did you accomplish what you set out to and yep. with what consequence Right, right. And that means like, you know, you're thinking about marking wear on your equipment. You're thinking about marking exhaustion and knowing it's a limited resource and how hard you want to push yourself. I mean, I think there's a lot there that's really focused on in the brief moment of steel flashing against armor. And and like that's where we really have that Game of Thrones moment of like, you know, two combatants in the forest and one of them is going to leave and the other is probably going to be dead or greatly injured. Like that's a different kind of thing than the expressive fighting of dancing within the after RPG of, of, you know, block and counter block and bending and all of that stuff. And that's really the challenge of being a game designer is like we we feel like in many ways we're like a chef who has to remake the entire menu every time we we open the restaurant for a new season, yeah, yeah. right? And that's and that's and so Sam, to some degree, what you're saying is true. Like up until the point that we did root, it was very much the most expressive combat system, um, and it really did inspire a lot of things for Avatar because we had had some experience with how do these moves work and what do they how do they function when when players actually engage them. 
Well, and it feels like each character is, you know, has very specific moves and you've done a great job with that. There's uh, nine Vagabond classes in the board game if you have all the expansions, right? Yep. But there are, I think, like 10 more in the I believe there's a total of 20. Yeah. Um, so across, maybe eleven both. more. Yeah. 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 So uh, when you're creating new vagabond classes that don't have like a board game touchstone, what was that like, and what were the discoveries that were made there? I mean, that was yeah, that was really cool. I mean, Leader Games was really open to it. Kyle, in particular, Kyle Farron does the art. Like, you know, we were like, we we're like, we want some weasels, man, and some bats. <laughs> can, we get some, can we get some bats? Like, ah, oh, I love bats, right? Um, so he was he was really great at like at like opening up that space and talking it through. Um, but what we wanted to do was do do some things that were maybe a little bit more aggressive. I mean, we think about like core playbooks as being like. Every core playbook can be in the game every single time and it should work with every other core playbook and it should just be it should just all flow together beautifully. And then we get to do some limited playbooks or some sort of expansion playbooks that might push the game a considerable amount. So if you look at Travelers and Outsiders, which is the supplement that's coming out with the core book, um, one of my favorites is the Exile. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the Exile, like like not just in its design, but like the conception, I mean, like you used to be an important figure in the Marquisat or the Eerie. And now you're that Skeksy who got like tore all of your robes were torn off and you were thrown into the woodland and you've ended up with these filthy vagabonds who like now like are your only hope of not getting killed by your old enemies. Right. And that's such a radically different stance for you as a player than being like the Arbiter who's like, yeah, I'm a vagabond, but I don't necessarily have like this deep enmity with already yet with a faction because I used to be one of them, nor do I have the opportunity to maybe reclaim what I lost. Right. And so like the exile just gives us a chance to play with some really new tools. Mm-hmm. Mark, I'm, I'm feeling like from many of these examples that your favorite faction and root is the lizard cult. Is that true? <laughs> I think the lizards are super interesting because they're, they're sort of utopian on one, on one hand. I think they're also really underappreciated. Like they're also like really fucking hard to play in the board game. <laughs> so like, so like I appreciate them in the, in the RPG because they really provide, I think a different kind of pressure. Um, like the otters are disaster capitalists. So I think it's always right. easy to like, <laughs> like hate on the otters for ruining the local economy. Right. But like the lizards always provide, I think such a, such an interesting tension. Um, and I think they're something like the core of conspiracy is sometimes, tough to use a lot. Of, we talk about challenges. A lot of what we really tried to work on with the core of conspiracy was figuring out, okay, how do we, how do we make this fun in a role playing game? Like what, what would the conspiracy be doing? Right? Like mm-hmm. what, how can it be doing something consistently enough that it can be represented? Right. And so working with Cole on that team uh, and the, and the leader team to figure out what those are doing was, was really interesting, but I think the lizards are just really unappreciated. So I guess, yeah, I guess I am kind of a lizard stand. There's an element to the GM prep in the books. I believe that you suggest they like have three factions in like a, a standalone kind of one shot yeah. or campaign. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just always assume the Corvids is the secret fourth in every single set. <laughs> well, I mean, there. yeah, there's all, I love to hint at like, Oh yeah, there's like the beginnings of the Woodland Alliance, but yeah. it hasn't, it hasn't coalesced yet or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I think, you know, we talk a lot in the in the book about like you know advancing time because one of the other cool things about about the woodland is it's not our modern world you know days and weeks might pass in like you know if you're traveling across the woodland i mean you could see that as like oh yeah it takes like four days but like what if it didn't what if it took like four weeks or four months right and so yeah like i love that idea that like yeah you, you hint at this conspiracy and then as time passes it becomes a faction especially if maybe the vagabonds 
I don't want to say kill, but uh, disable one of the other factions. And, and ru- de- de- exactly, yeah. Ruin that faction's hold. Then you as the GM could just be like, and that's when the Corvids show up, right? Mm-hmm. When when the Marcusat really is like, ah, fuck this, we're going home. Like, <laughs> like whatever, and leaves it to the Eerie and the Woodland Lions to duke it out. That's the great moment for the, the Corvids to, to insert themselves. Yeah, I think you're right on about that. There's such a rich narrative space that I feel like the board game evokes too, like in the shadow of the collapse of one faction. Yeah. Suddenly there's this power vacuum that then the other factions are kind of fighting over to try and fill in. And then sometimes a new power emerges and there's like always this kind of churn in the board game. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I feel like it's represented very faithfully in the RPG. Mm -hmm. Well, I I like what you said earlier about the setup. Like as a GM, you do get to make some choices. Like you can, you can kind of say, okay, I want to play a game that's set kind of like, Almost after the war, like the Marquesat and Erie exhausted each other. Neither side won. The Woodland Alliance, Corvid Conspiracy, and Otters are going to be our factions for our game. <laughs> and then you're like, like there's no real overarching government. There's just these like almost insurgent factions that are kind of like each trying to establish some deeper legitimacy. And that presents the Vagabonds, Kyle, to your point, with like a really different set of yeah. challenges. So many hidden identities, I couldn't even begin to keep track. Right, Double, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot, a lot more like a lot more like subterfuge and skullduggery. But that's what's so fun about it is like you can you have a setting which is the woodland, right? But then because right. you can choose your factions, you can exactly you have a buffet of options in terms of what you want to bring. Right, and we, we're working on a lot of clearings for the game. Like we we put there's there's four in the clearing booklet, which is going out to Kickstarter backers. Um, there's uh, you know like three or I think in the in the uh, the Travelers and Outsiders book and one in the in the main book, but we're writing more. And one of the interesting things about writing it is like you can almost just like roll on a random table. You're like Marcusat, Moles, and Corvids, go right. Like yeah. and and like think through like what would that look? What, what would how would those ideologies come into contact? And Moles, Corvids, Denizens looks different than Moles, Corvids, Marcusat, right? Like that that one change. So really, you have like like so many opportunities to set up a different woodland, but you nailed it, Jake. I think one of the things that we're, we're always really skeptical of is games that tell you to set up the entire setting Yeah. for two reasons. One is that's cognitively exhausting. That's a lot of work. Right. And then the second reason is how are your mechanics matching every setting? Right. right? So like the reputation mechanics of root are built around those factions and how they work and how they think. Like, it can't just be like, well, my woodland has no factions. And I'm, like, looking at my materials like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite work like, the same. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, none of these reputation moves work. None of these things work. These things over here don't work. These playbook moves don't work. Right? So, like, yeah, like, the the woodland is what we call a holding environment, meaning, like, sort of like the crock pot in which all the cooking gets done. Nice. Right? And, like, different games have different kinds of holding environments. And in, in all honesty, the woodland is the bigger holding environment. The real holding environment is the clearing. Right. It's like mm-hmm. that's the that's the like little miniature room in which everybody's bouncing around. But if you look at something like D&D, um, the holding environment is the party. That's why Critical Role can have dozens and dozens of sessions across all these adventures following this one group of jokers because they're the holding. Their friendship is like the holding environment. Right. But that can be difficult. Like what happens when the paladin and the rogue don't get along. Right. So so the vagabond structure of saying like. Hey, you guys aren't really wanted anywhere. No one wants you. Like you're friends because you have to be. And the clearing is like the space in which those problems get worked out. That for us is like a really strong holding environment. Let's just do a lot of really interesting things. One thing that that stuck out to me in a big way is 
right at the beginning of a campaign, you sit down, you pick your playbook as a, as a player, and then you have to work out your kind of backstory. Like, why do yeah. you care about the other people in the party? You kind of right. fill in these sort of details and, you know, nothing is really pre-planned exactly. You just get to the table and then figure out how you connect. And uh, I, I found that to be such a dynamic and interesting way to just immediately throw some balls in the air and like get some, you know, circumstances stirring and some conflicts going. Uh, is that is that your guys' like homebrew way of kind of pushing the boulder down the hill or like how did that come about? I mean, that's that's a that's a feature of a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games. They, it's more just like there's an acknowledgement that there is a moment of deep awkwardness when all the PCs meet in a tavern for the 17th time as a group of friends. Right. And like, we just like, you have this moment where you sit down with your friends and you're like, cool, we're all making these characters and out of character, we're friends. So I guess our characters are going to be friends, but how do they know each other? Like what, what is happening here? And if you go watch any story in the real world, the cast of characters has at least some, they were on a plane together that crashed or they were put together by a half elf, you know, who brought everybody to one location and said, y'all should carry this ring to Mordor or whatever. There's some reason for them to be in that group together. And it's often not fun to try to figure it out and play. Yeah. And also people tend to have trust issues, right? (laughs) Like I don't trust your character. I don't trust your character. Let's just trust each other for like the first minute at least. Right. That'd be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Even like uh, when people are uh, doing like improvised comedy on stage or stuff, like one of the big lessons they tell you is like your characters know each other. Right. So that you don't have to do the hi, blah, hi. blah, blah, right? Like your characters have a history in this, yeah. uh, the system that uh, Powered by the Apocalypse does and in the Root RPG is just so good. Like, oh, there were these moments where we got each other out of a couple scrapes exactly. or whatever exactly. that yep. it instantly creates a relationship to someone like, oh, they're kind of like my older brother in this game or stuff that like flavors it beyond just generic friends or coworkers. You got it. Like, so what, what we try to do to, to really take that to the next level and not just have it be like, Oh, you guys are coworkers. Right. Cause that, that is one way of thinking about the vagabonds. It's right. like, you're just, you're just coworkers is to give you an orient <laughs> orientation. Like, coworkers. Of this, We're like, all just it's, a bunch of coworkers. Just doing a gig. Yeah, just, just doing the best you can. Our job. <laughs> Yeah, right, we like went to lockpicking academy together. And, yeah, uh... exactly. Yeah. He's a friend from work. Yeah, um, like the the goal is to is to give you things that are going to orient you towards the other. Care. Oh, this guy's always up in my shit asking questions. Like, yeah, we're friends, but he's like my skeptical friend that I have to I have to like keep my dirty deeds away from, right? Mm-hmm. And that's fun. That gives you like a real clear orientation. But Kyle, every time you talk, you have this smile on your face that tells me you actually figured out the secret. All of our games are really for GMs. Like, we're really what we really <laughs> want to do is give you the GM a bunch of tools to actually run the game because I think that the thing that kills more games than anything else is just like a lack of what we call narrative momentum. Like, like you're just not sure where to go. And as the GM, you can't speak confidently about the next space, right? So you end up in the space where you're like, so do you guys want to do another adventure? And the PCs are like, yeah. And you're like, cool. Like, <laughs> like what? You find a handwritten <laughs> note that says this way, please. Exactly. Right? And, then, and then the players are like, well, we're definitely not following the note. Right guys. Yeah. And you're like, I just asked you if you wanted to have another adventure and you said yes. Like, so, so like there's definitely something there where like what we want is I want you as a GM to always be able to introduce things with confidence. So you can look at your player sheets and be like, okay, Arbiter, you said that you left behind your mentor. Well, guess what? 
he got kidnapped and another one of his fellow protégés has found you in this clearing and is like, dude, our mentor was kidnapped. And I think he might have been kidnapped by this faction you hate. And the Arbiter's like, well, you know, normally I would tell the GM to go fuck themselves if they gave me a letter that said X. But how am I supposed to tell this adorable bird who just got here, who I'm supposed – like I said my mentor was left behind. Right? I bought into that. I can't do – like I got to convince the other vagabonds. We got to go right. to that clearing and solve the case, right? And so – you know, a lot of our games are really set up to give the GM the tools that are necessary to keep things moving forward. It's so interesting that you phrase it that way, though, Mark, because you say you're giving the GM the tools, which is very true. But like you're giving it through the use of the player. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what's that's what I was so impressed by the system is that yeah. it really equals out the narration at a game table. I always say that, like the best RPG experiences is when pretty much everybody at the table is equally contributing for the most part. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk a lot about it as a conversation. I mean, if you remember in the book, we talk about that explicitly. And that's something that Vincent wrote and, and Meg wrote in the originally with Apocalypse World is that an RPG is just a structured way of talking, right? Like we roll dice to determine mm-hmm. what happens because that's better than us just saying, uh, you succeed or uh, you fail, right? Like we, we declaim that responsibility of the dice to keep things interesting. Mm-hmm. But, but ultimately what I want is like, yeah, Jake, you talk, then I talk, then you talk, then Sam talks, then Kyle talks, then – and so like the more that we can facilitate that, so yeah, like the players have to buy into it because what's a conversation? It's a lecture then. It's, <laughs> yeah. if, it's, if it's the GM being like, here's all the things that are happening to you and here's all your decisions. But, but what we're cognizant of is that a lot of role-playing games, I think, they work because people play them clearly, right? But like – they put a lot of that burden on the GM. So if you go on forums, if you go on Reddit, what you're reading a lot is like, my players don't want to do anything. What do I do? And all of the suggestions or workarounds that people have found to like make role-playing games. Or they're just abstract storytelling suggestions, which are helpful in any context. Right. Sure. But you've built a system that facilitates those answers. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, and so like we still, like we have a really, really active discord where people come in and talk about like, Hey, I'm about to run root. Like, what should I know? And like, there's certainly like GMing is a skill, right. And it grows and builds the more you do it. But I think what we're looking for is a way for the player to say here, like I have chosen to play the rock and tour. That means I want to go around the woodland playing my little flute for audiences and having people throw flowers at me and getting it over my head, like an adorable bard. And you, the GM are like, Got it. So you want a critic to try to murder you? Check. I hear. I hear you loud and clear, right? And like that—that that conversation has to be happening at a literal level, but also at the level of I see the playbooks you've chosen, I see the choices you've made on those playbooks, and now I can deliver on the things you really want without you needing to spell them out. Because one of the tragedies of role-playing games is the more that I spell out for you as a player, hey, could we do this and this and this and this and this? the less exciting those things are because it feels like I'm not the one doing them. Right. So like what we need to do as a GM, right? Kyle is like, take all that stuff, throw it out there, let it be real in the world. And then the players can then act on it in a real way and feel great about it. Cause they're the ones making those choices. And they are, they're really making those choices. But if we as GMs don't have the ability to put those pieces out on the board confidently, then it's really hard for the players to confidently grab them and use them because they're like, is this a piece? Is this not a piece? Am I allowed to talk to this NPC? Did I just 
make like this side NPC a main character and you end up with that weird position where somebody's like, am I following the plot? And people sometimes ask that at games we run. They're like, am I following the plot enough? And we're like, what? <laughs> like, like, you're the one that burned down that whole jail. Right. And then, and then like kidnapped the governor. Like I thought oh, like you, you haven't did heard the episode yet, Mark, but you don't understand how accurate your prediction is. Yeah. Promoting a random NPC to a main character definitely happens. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because, because what happened in that moment is the players were like, but this is the stuff my character's interested mm-hmm. in. And it turns out in <laughs> yeah. fiction, we tend not to follow the plots. We follow what the characters are interested in. So it's about navigating that space and acknowledging that role-playing is like kind of precious and special when it works. And cause it's, cause it's kind of ephemeral. Like yeah, telling people about much. role-playing games is hard. Yes. Like, it's like telling them about an improv it. scene. It's the same way. Right. It's like you had to be there. Like you, anytime anybody tells me an RPG story, yeah. unless there's a funny like punchline to it, I don't care about their awesome 20 role. It doesn't matter to me, right? It doesn't it's matter. It's the same as a dream. It's just yeah. like, yeah. okay, yeah. well, that sounds weird, and I don't understand it, but I'm glad <laughs> right. you had fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Unless it involves something that was like at some level out of character, where right? right. you can connect the players as real people. Like it's Yeah, it's really hard, but from within it. Oh, yeah. It's this incredibly special moment when you're there, right? I think one of the reasons we keep coming back to RPGs is because when you get that moment, like, you know, I I remember um, one of the games that when when we first, Marissa and I first met Brendan, when he first joined our team, he ran a a long form game of Apocalypse World at the con. So we played in three different Apocalypse World games, like in like three sessions of the Apocalypse World game back to back to back Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it was like a whole campaign in a weekend. Um, and we had this moment where my driver, who's kind of like Mad Max, like he's in a car, he's like super <laughs> cool. And Marissa's like super cool battle babe had this moment where like we like got our memories back and it turned out we had this kid and like she died and like there's so much backstory. It was great. But we had this moment where like she was like, you need to come with me and rolled and missed, right? And then I was like, no, you need to go and rolled and succeeded. And there's this moment where it's like the parting of these two characters felt like completely real in that moment. Like there's some bleed, like there's some, like some some actual, like me and Marissa relationship stuff there. There's like this moment where other people are like watching it. And like the whole story doesn't matter, right? The moment of that, of that, like is so powerful and real. And I don't know a single other thing in my life that ever gets close. Like if I'm playing a video game and it's moving, it's like, that's great. That's, I, I feel like I interact with a movie. That's cool. I see it over there. But where's that moment where you like, the audience and the actor collapse in a one and you're watching yeah. yourself be in that moment, making one of those decisions. And like, I could tell you about it a little bit, but like, man, until you felt it, it's just not real. Yeah. And until, wow. until you've lived it and that's the only opportunity to live it is through role play. <laughs> right. Just to do yeah, it. Right. Yeah. yeah. To, to actually do it. That's amazing. Kyle, did you feel equipped in that way as a like first time DM? Was it your first time GMing? Right. Is that correct? So it's my first time GMing, which is, it's funny. And uh, Mark, maybe you'll appreciate some of the irony here, but Sam, Jake, and then uh, the third participant, Becca, uh, all three have extensive GM experience. Like, have <laughs> basically, yeah. like, done this professionally yeah. multiple times. And it's my first time, like, <laughs> just diving on in. I'm like, of the That's four great. of us, how That's did great. this be? It was so great. My, my gig. Yeah. Super fun. The the system is so flexible. The best part is allowing the kind of like passion and sort of spark of the story to then kind of crystallize into a moment. Mm-hmm. And then that is our beat. 
And then based on that beat, like, let's keep rolling and see what happens. Right. And I, yeah, I just feel like everything about the way the Root RPG is set up helps in the kind of formation of those little story crystals, those little beats that help us keep rolling. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah. So it, it was almost effortless. You just let the the players follow their spark. You have a little bit of prep and then just let the story happen. H- hang on for amazing. the ride as the GM, right? Like you're like, you're like, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Everybody stop talking at once. Like I need one of you <laughs> to tell me what the plan is. Right? <laughs> There's a plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so, okay, we, there's all this great material um, just starting to hit store shelves uh, by the time this podcast is released. Super exciting stuff. Hope everyone goes out there and buys 12 copies and gives them to all of their friends. <laughs> um, so are there any plans for future developments in the Root RPG? And Mark, there is a correct answer to this. Yes. Correct. All right. <laughs> you win, Mark. You win. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I mean, the first thing is like we we launched the Root RPG campaign, uh, and and like at that moment we knew Leader was planning more stuff, but we 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 it wasn't going to be ready on the same schedule right. as what we were doing. So so we said for a minute one cool core book's going to have the core factions from the box that are just like hey here are the standard four kind of factions, the denizens, the Woodland Alliance, the Marcasad and the, and the Uri. And we immediately knew that we wanted to include these other awesome factions because like, I think my second game of root, I, we had the otters, like it was just felt, they're just part of the whole world, right? They don't feel like an expansion. They just feel like part of the core game. So we knew from minute one that we wanted to have them. And then, you know, obviously four factions was a good fit for travelers and outsiders. That's like, that's like it's not too much. It's not too much to take in, but it feels like its own. You're really adding a lot of depth, right, in that in that section. Um, so we've already been talking with Cole and you know Patrick and Kyle about what you know the Marauders stuff looks like, how we how we get that added into the game, and then some some future stuff that they're that they're talking about and working on. Um, but I think that that for us, I think what you've seen is like making a role playing game is an incredibly like it's just so much time. Like that is the thing I think people dramatically underestimate is like if you make a board game, you design it and then you get it onto cards and pieces and then you play test the hell out of it. Right. If you make a role playing game, you do all that. And then you're like, okay, you sit down and write 170,000 yeah. words. Right. <laughs> so like, like you have this whole extra step. And so what's really interesting about that is like when we send things to the factory, it tends to be, aside from the current COVID shipping crisis, it tends to be pretty quick. Like it's a book, it just prints and then we get it in the mail. We don't have this like back and forth and back and forth of like this component is like slightly off or this needs to be written right. for the metal. Like we just like send the book and it shows up at our warehouse. But before that point, oh my God, like it's, it's like editing, proofing, layout, getting this art correct, getting, making sure it's the right, you know, the right look, you know, having people look at the rules and make sure they make sense. Um, and, you know, the leader team puts a ton of time into their materials and they look really good, but it is a very different cycle. And so what's going to happen here for future stuff is we need to sit down and say, okay, what does this book look like? And when do we have time on our schedule to like, you know, write it? Because that's actually the challenge. Um, and I will say that like, you know, the core, core books are always 10 times harder than everything else because they're cohesive documents. Right. So if you think about the core book, like all the chapters of the core book, except maybe the last adventure, the last piece have to work together to explain the game. 
But yeah. when you go to Travelers and Outsiders, you're like, here's a bunch of playbooks. Yeah. And with the core, you have to really feel like you've completed the project in some way, right? Like you exactly. can't, you can't, yeah, it has to come full circle. Otherwise it's not yeah. core or you feel like you're yeah. adding another book. It's like, hey, also physics or something. Yeah, weird. right. Like, like, <laughs> by the way, here's how this, here's how the eerie worked, right? We forgot to right? mention yeah. this. Yeah. So many right, old yeah. RPGs used to do that too. It's like the supplement for how swimming works, you know? It's like, no, right. let's not yep. go through that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we really broke it out into saying, okay, cool. Here's a couple more clearings here's a couple playbooks here's some alternate rules and we want to make sure that whatever we do next has that same degree of depth like we want to see to some degree like what what questions do people have what issues arise in play that we haven't seen in our play testing so far once we get people running 40 50 sessions right um and we expect that the core system will hold up really really well because we've done a lot of testing on that but like one of the things that came up during the campaign was people wanted to know well, what do i do to represent like the fact that i'm a raccoon and we're like well, you're not really a raccoon, dude. You're like, it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a parable. It's like more. you're not actually a raccoon. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're a person that looks like a, ra okay, you're a raccoon, I guess. But, <laughs> but like, that's not what matters. Right. But, but birds still fly. Right. And otters still swim. So like, what do we do? Um, but so the like opposable thumbs. <laughs> right. Exactly. But they have, their, their wings are thumbs. Right. Like there's definitely a problem. Right. Like you, you don't want to think about it too hard. Right. I always Think about that first episode of Rick and Morty where he says, don't think about it, Morty. Like, it's kind of how I feel about the thumbs on <laughs> yeah. the birds, right? It's oh, like, definitely. Like, the root yeah. community has all, all often asked, where does the leather come from? It's it's it's, 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 like, don't it's think vegan about it. leather. It's it's <laughs> yeah. harvested from tree bark. It's right, bean yeah. leather. <laughs> bean <laughs> leather. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, but at the same time, like, I think there's a really interesting space for saying, yeah, if you want to have a game that's tilted more towards, like, you know, what can mice do? What can birds do as birds? Like beyond like some basic, what we call fictional positioning. If you can fly, that means you can do things that you couldn't do. If you fly, if you're small, you can get into a space you can't otherwise get into. But we had some really cool work that we were able to do around like using species moves in travelers and travelers and outsiders. And that's the kind of stuff we love to do in supplements. It's mm -hmm. giving people some new tools that they can bring into their campaign with again, very clear instructions for how they're brought in. And so we'll see like what other kinds of questions do people have like that where we can say, Oh, you guys want to do like a, like, like maybe we find a lot of vagabonds are like setting up institutions. Like they want to like do the work of like setting up a town and governing the town as the thing comes up all the time. And we're like, cool, let's give you some rules for what does it look like for you to be able to mechanically support that kind of work? In my campaigns, that is not usually how things go. Oh, that's going to last up. like a day. Right, exactly. Right, yeah. But but I could see a world in which, you know, when people have played 40, 50 sessions, what they start to do is think about like, yeah, but like, this is our clearing. Like, we've been here seven yeah, times. Yeah. Like, we 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 kicked the Marquesat out. We kicked the Eerie out, right? Like, this is ours. We want to hold on to this. And that would be a different kind of approach to the game. The current rules will work, but we could we could supplement But them. you could also see it becoming a new faction, you know? It's almost right, exactly. like this is a new yeah. warlord of their own or something like yep. that. Yep. And so, like, thinking through, I think, you know, what, what people are looking for um, is a really fun way of thinking about what the design challenges are. So... At the same time, I, we would love to. We're looking forward to whatever Leader Games comes out with next in terms of additional factions and and what they will, what kind of energy they bring to the space. But you know, already hirelings. Yeah, you know, oh, the, I know, the, right? The, there's the so many King, new options. Like, yeah, there's there's yeah. already so much stuff, yeah. right? So we're excited to see that one day show up in the root in the root game. Well, speaking of working with Leader, what's it like working with Mr. Cole Worley? 
Well, Cole and I uh, weirdly have a lot in common because neither of us, uh, you know, like went to school to be a game designer. Like I actually have a master's in public policy that focuses on like community organizing. So if you, a lot of my games are have this kind of thread, I think as Cole's games do of like thinking through political problems and how they actually represent in people's lives. Cole thinks about them at the level of like factions and movements. And I tend to think about them at the level of individuals, but like we, we, we get along great. Um, and it's been really cool. I think to learn from him, there, there's a couple of key moves that are essential to how root works that the board game kind of elides. One of them, for example, is the idea that the Marcassat is not all cats, right? Right. It's, it's made up of the cats as a, as a group, a political group, which of course I'm sure has some overlap with them as an, as an, can't believe I say this ethnic group, right? Right. Like, <laughs> like that they they have like a species group that kind of is represented, but but they're supposed to be an empire, right? So right. they would have everybody. all kinds of uh, everybody, right? Their goal is not to come in and be like we're cats and we're in charge. Their goal is to come in and be like we're cats and you can be part of the Marcasad as well, mm-hmm. right? But only and the so cats like, are on the billboards and stuff, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, only people in cat armor right, are on the billboards, right, right. right? Is actually kind of how it works and. And like I think the you know, the board game represents that by saying, okay, hey, look, here's these cards, and they're supposed to represent denizens. And so when you, the Erie, put one of these in your in your little program that you're running, what that's supposed to represent is you have added some denizens to your mm-hmm, empire, mm-hmm. and they are acting in accordance with their nature, right? Um, and that's something that the board game can you you can miss that if right. you're not if you're not paying it. You're like, well, I just put these cards here, and then they do the thing. Right. Um, and so I think we were able to to have some really cool conversations where we can bring forward that idea and really, again, add some nuance to the Marcassat and show it not as a bunch of fascist cats who just scrape, you know, whited out the swastikas on the side of their <laughs> uniforms or something. Right. But instead be like, be like, no, no, no. Oh, like no. This, this is a, this is an invading army. Like it has all the problems of colonialism. We're not going to whitewash it at all. Like it is it is a colonial power. Mm-hmm. But colonial powers also build stuff, and sometimes local people buy into the colonial power mm-hmm. for whatever reasons they have, sure. whether that's ideological or just pragmatic. And you're going to have to contend with them yeah, it's as a reality well as the of, colonizers. It's a reality of the land, right? Right. It, it's a nice thing about the vagabonds as well. It's like they never believe that they're villains. You know, they're oh, just right. acting yeah. the way that they think is right, the way that they are going to act, and um. Reading through the the core book and the Travelers and Outsiders book as well, you get a real good sense of uh, each faction's kind of like their core ideology as they move forward onto the world. And, you know, in a strict kind of like positive sense, like the way that they seek to like act onto the woodland. And then the dark side of that is left for the players to explore and for the the kind of GM to excavate. Yeah. it's yeah, it's really great. It's, it's a good port from the board game in that sense too. Yeah, I mean, when we played the board game, there was a part of me that was like, why wouldn't I just play the Woodland Alliance every time? Like, why? <laughs> like, like, and so, like, in some ways, one of the challenges we've had is making the Woodland Alliance nuanced enough that they can be villains, right? Otherwise, it's just like Woodland Alliance propaganda, right? So, like, but like thinking about them as like they're not the denizens, right? right. The denizens are people who just want to live their lives. The Woodland Alliance is like. 
but what if we did a heck in violence and like took back our land? And you're like, that's very compelling, but also I don't want to die. Right. And that, (laughs) that actually, again, like the board game kind of aligns that the Woodland Alliance can come across as like, yep, they, they built a base and all the pieces went away. They just, (laughs) they just, they just went away. Right. And then if you're a vagabond who's there when, when the Woodland Alliance does their, their takeover, I don't think it'll feel like that. I think it'll feel. No, no, green terror. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, one one of the things I really love is there's this this deck of cards that has just characters and different denizens in yeah. it. And, and several vagabonds as well, which is cool. Yep. Like several kind of NPC vagabonds that you can play as, yeah. uh, as the or pull out as the GM. And a couple of these denizen cards, they're you know, they're denizens, so they're not really allied with any fa- faction in particular. But some of them specifically say in the card they're like, they want the factions to leave and th- for the conflict to be over. Yep. And they're going to do everything they can to, like, de-escalate everywhere. Which I think is just such a fascinating perspective that you would not get in the context of, like, a coin war game, right? Like, well, there's I mean, no I peacemaker think... faction. Everyone's trying to, like, beat each other down and win. And so to have that kind yeah. of, like, peppered into the world, just it just adds this, like, very, like, humanist quality. It makes things complicated. and It gives the, the characters a chance to discover themselves in relation to this other kind of motive. It's cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you say that because there actually is a coin game, uh, All Bridges Burning, that has three factions. Uh, it's about the Polish Civil War, and the middle faction, the moderate faction, actually their goal is to stop the conflict. Oh, and there's, wow. there's actually this whole like political extremism track that like oh they're goodness. trying to keep very minimal. Um, but like, but to your point, like what's cool about that game, which is actually one of my favorite coin games, is amazing three player game. So you don't need a fourth player. It's like really full at three. Um, what's great about it is that it really gives the moderates like it's tough. It makes it hard. Like it's not it's not easy or idealistic when it comes to like bringing the conflict down. And I think one of the things that Root does really well is it articulates a bunch of ideologies. Like the Erie have this claim, right? The Marquesat have this power. The Corbin conspiracy has this this like this network, right? And each of those is a claim to like a legitimacy in the conflict. Like we belong in this conflict because we have an ideology that we can represent through our actions. But what you're calling out, Kyle, I think is that like, would there be a lot of people who don't have any ideology about the woodland politics? Wouldn't they just want to live their lives or like not get murdered or yeah, accomplish their Yeah, one guy just wants goal? to be a baker, you know? That's just like, whole I just want to <laughs> He wants to bread. have a bake sale. That's right, it. exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think it points to like, you know, all those people you meet in your life who you're like, who are you voting for? And they're like, I don't vote. Like, I'm t- I got three kids and a job and this. I don't have time to figure out who to vote for. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Right? That's no different in this kind of society. You're going to have a lot of denizens who don't really want to engage. Um, and I think one of the, the joys of all bridges burning as a game is that it it, it like goes it, it actually does the work, which is extensive to mechanize a faction that doesn't want the conflict, because you're right. There's no way even in Gandhi. It's like they Gandhi wants the conflict because that faction needs that conflict to advance their agenda. Mm-hmm. So all almost always in coin games, there's a sense of we are engaging in this conflict to advance our ideological agenda. And I think that's that's the big root of root right is is that that's what cole was able and and leader game was able to port over into maybe a i don't want to say family friendly but like a slightly more accessible mm-hmm. like <laughs> format right is this idea that every faction of the woodland is there for a reason like they're not they're not just a bunch of people who picked up swords and said yeah we like hacking people to death they're like no we we believe a good life is or a good system of government or a good structure for the woodland would look like this and the RPG allows us to complicate that, but also 
to introduce a smaller set of conflicts that allow the vagabonds to maybe have a win or two. Like, hey, these people got lost in the ruins. All they want is to, you know, have their kid be rescued. Or mm -hmm. all they want is to, you know, bring some goods from one clearing to another. Could you provide some security? <laughs> and I, I think that that's important because the war, as, as all wars, is pretty bleak. Like, it's pretty sad. And, and it's not... Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't resolve peacefully very often, to your point, Kyle. It doesn't de-escalate. So having some spaces where the vagabonds could actually do some good, I think is really important. Oh, man, I wish we'd yeah. done good in either of our campaigns. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. Boy, we usually just have option. to hold out for a lizard's win. <laughs> we have to hold out for a perfect lizard's utopia. We usually leave the doing good to session three. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Redemption for sessions, sessions one and two. Exactly. Once you've burned a few things down, you're like, oh, Again, man, we really... scarily accurate. <laughs> we really got to do some PR yeah. work here. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's going to want us around if we're constantly killing people. <laughs> right? yeah. That's great. Oh, I would just wanted to give a shout out. Uh, I don't know, Mark, if you've had the opportunity to mess with Syria's like uh, root RPG helper app. They've made a lot of like helper apps for uh, the root board game that has like all the cards and like all the law. Uh, they've mm -hmm. done it for Oath as well, and they did it for the Root RPG that we were able to use digitally, and I would just highly recommend it for anyone who's trying to play digitally especially. Uh, it keeps track of all the things. You can even make a map, a clearing map yep. that everyone can see on it. It's it's very handy. I don't know if you've had a chance to mess with it yet. but I mean, yeah, we've been working with with uh, with Kyle over there for, for the last like year and a half now to make that. Like, we we. We're the ones who who made it, basically. Oh, cool! So, yeah. so like, it's actually an official Magpie Games thing. We're still in beta testing, so we haven't. There's not a lot of information about that. Like, we'll have some some sign up information here soon. Um, but yeah, like what we wanted for that was, you know, we play a lot online, especially during the pandemic, and we really wanted to have a tool that allowed you to track stuff for Root because it is it's not like too fiddly, but like there's a little bit more to track than say for a, a super narrative game, right? Like there's exhaustion and some gear and some things like that. And then, you know, Kyle really had some cool ideas for like, you can generate a clearing by just hitting a button. You hit a button and like the whole clearing goes and there's like problems and NPCs and all this stuff. It's great. It's really cool. So we're, we're making use of some of those tools, but yeah, we want it to be a tool that you can use alongside a zoom call, right? So like yeah. the, the, here's your zoom call and then here's all of your stuff. And you, you actually, build a campaign as a GM and then assign your, the characters to that campaign. So as you advance and you can spend those advancements to unlock stuff and the GM can always see everybody's stuff in one place. And, and then the, like you said, there's tools to like have a map and show that map and show, show where you are. Um, and we really wanted to, to put together something that was going to be useful. I think you've, this is the drum beat we always have at the office is mm -hmm. how is this useful to players and GMs? Um, and we're super excited about it. Like, I think it's one of the, the coolest sets of digital tools we've come out with. And, and it really is key to like, you know, making a character takes very little time when you could just click through the menus yeah. and, and, and select it. Well, so, it's super helpful because so, it like got all the information in one place for Kyle as well. And it, it was, we yeah. didn't have to click through three windows of our different pages and stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Even though it's still yeah. in beta, do you mind if I post a link to it in the description of the pod? Oh, for please, please do, Great. please do, please do. Like we, we, we only have it in beta in the sense that it will move servers, and and we want to be cautious. And it's still with play tested data. a little bit. Yeah. yeah yep. Totally. Sure. You might you might hit a bump or two. Um. But no, I mean, all of the work that's gone into it has been really, really exciting because. You know, digital play was already big for us, you know, 10 years ago. Like, we were already doing digital play 2011, 2012, right? Um, but the pandemic really changed 
people's willingness to give it a shot. Yeah. Right. And and to recognize you can still play with your friends for college if you're willing to just have a Zoom call. Right. Yeah. Like it's not it's not that well, bad. Well, in a shocking like reverse of expectations, it felt like it kind of grew the RPG community because people had an mm. opportunity to try without having to go get in person, and it brought sure, a lot of people sure. from all over different parts of the world together. Yeah, I mean, like, and and the thing is, the board game community has done something similar, and and I know you all like, like, there's playing Root online is is very cool. Like, the videos are very neat. Like, seeing the pieces move around and everything, very cool. But one of the things I love about playing board games is that they're tactical or tactile, right? Yeah. They like you. We're moving the pieces, we're shuffling the cards, we're doing the things, and they have a kind of joy of like you know being at the table together. Yeah. And the thing is that RPGs are mostly about talking at the table together. And so in many ways they work better over Zoom than than a board game because this is it. Like we're we're here. As long as there's some tools for managing our characters, you're getting 80% of the experience, right? Um, and so I, I applaud all the board gamers who still ran their their giant GMT <laughs> games on, on Vassal or whatever. But like, oh, it's hard, yeah. right? It's difficult. Um, and role-playing really suits naturally to the like, yeah, everybody's got their little screen. Everybody's got their camera on. We can all see each other. And the challenge, of course, is, you know, as I'm sure you you manage, Kyle, is like you have to call people by name. If you're like, Sam, what does your character do? Right. So, so you don't have that awkward lag. But like once you've mastered kind of the basics of running an RPG on Zoom, it's it's really powerful. Oh, my goodness. Well, this conversation was powerful. Thank you so much, Mark, for like going down the rabbit hole with us on this. This was a blast. We had a we had a really great time playing the RPG. And I mean, I don't want to speak for all three of us, but like I definitely will be playing again. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. man. It's it's really cool. I would say both both for this and, and for Avatar Legends, the RPG as well. It's been really cool to engage with fans who are coming to the space already excited about the property. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, yeah. like talking with root fans where they're like, Oh man, like I see how this thing is happening. And I'm like, that's, I'm glad you like the lizards as much as I do. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Like, and that's a really unique experience for us. We're really excited yeah. about that. So thanks for Thanks for I haven't seen this much enthusiasm for an upcoming RPG in a while. And I know avatar has got a ton of uh, oh. enthusiasm for it. Cause everybody's been waiting for that one. So you're just going to get waves of, of my it. coworkers is just like, have you ordered avatar that we have like a lot of, <laughs> new hires and they're like here's the thing pre-order it now you can still lay back i don't know if you can still but um yeah yeah yeah. that's awesome and no we're we're really lucky and i think i think you know both both in in the kinds of projects that we've been able to work on and the people we've been able to work with i think you know when i when we first messaged leader i think we knew they were kind of a company like us but it's been really special to grow with them they've got they've like doubled their staff since we started this project i mean root, root and oath and everything's just been hugely hugely successful um but like it's been really special to be able to be a part of the root community and we are so unbelievably thrilled to finally 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 be shipping people books because it has been a very long road through the pandemic um and i think people are going to be really really excited by everything we haven't even talked about the dice which like oh yeah i i think it's like one of the best parts it's like these adorable dice right which have the logos for each one of the factions on them like yeah it's very exciting stuff i've got my satchel on the way but it's still at my store i'm like do I need an extra set of the dice? <laughs> I think I might need an extra set of the dice. Yeah, what if two people play, right. you know, somebody who used to be part of the Marcusite? You need two, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know how we end all these podcasts. <laughs> I have I have some familiarity okay. with okay, it. Okay, great. We have a thing around the office for a little while where 
like literally anytime anybody said it, someone else from usually from a different room would go roots. Like from like we would we would somebody be like, well for root roots. Like from a you know, for a different, so we're well familiar. Okay, excellent. <laughs> well, the next time that you message Leader Games, I think your message should just be root 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 root